Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with 371 trifix, and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome to The Blind Spot. I am really excited today to be talking to Timothy Summerfeld, who is a student at the University of Southern Queensland in Australia. So it is just always fun to know that I'm sitting here in Chicago and talking to somebody in Australia. And it's my dinner time here in Chicago, and it's the morning for him on the next day in Australia. So the fact that we have this platform, the fact that we can bring Enneagram enthusiasts from around the world to hear the thoughts that are emerging is one of the coolest things of this age of Aquarius that we are in. And I met Timothy through a Facebook chat because we were both commenting on some content around the instinctual drives in the Enneagram. And I really enjoyed his comment which the funny thing is, is neither of one of us can remember what that comment was now. So, <laughs> so yeah. we just know that we were vibing. And um, I turned him on to my podcast. And I think it's amazing that a 21-year-old is in this community thinking about the Enneagram at this level of consciousness. And the other funny thing that I will share is that when I saw this con- comment, I was engaging with Timothy just like, as another Enneagram expert, and we're talking on the phone with no faces. And then I'm like, how old are you? Because of course, you know, obvious projection, I'm just imagining he's like me, a middle aged man. And he's like, Oh, I'm a 21 year old student in college. And I'm just like, wow. So anyway, welcome to being my youngest interview candidate. And I know that everybody's going to enjoy Timothy's insights. I'm just going to go ahead and throw out there. This is an old soul, my friends. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I've already enjoyed communicating yeah. with Timothy quite a bit. So welcome, Timothy. Thank you so much for having me, Cara. It's, this is going to be uh, really fun, I think. Yeah. So I heard that you are studying film and screen production right now. That's, and that's correct. Yeah. I'm curious, like, what's your dream? What led you to that? Well, okay. So the journey to studying film at the University of Southern Queensland or UniSQ for short, um, it took form rather quickly, I would say, um, in the sense that, so I began middle July 2021. Um, and just prior to that, I was actually enrolled in a unit of theological studies um, at a uh, biblical theological college in Brisbane, um, in Queensland. There was in the time leading up to the choice to, hey, I'm going to actually go and study film now, there was actually a shift in my entire life uh, occurring um, through this, through these, the months leading up to that choice. Um, I was finding, discovering, you know, what it was that I actually believe. I was learning how to think. Um, uh, I was, you know, all of these things were shifting and moving around and there was a lot of like, there, was a, there were a lot of mental challenges, we'll put it that way, uh, mental and emotional challenges. Uh, yeah, just a real, a storm really built up to the point where I decided that I would, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go try, I'm going to try to do something uh, more, more explicitly creative. 
Um, were there mental wa- and emotional challenges around finding what professional path you wanted? Were there personal things going on? Was it romantic stress? What was the category? <laughs> uh, well, I try not to live in categories. Um, oh, so the it was is a process, a path of breaking down religious nomenclature and structures of language and thought. There was a lot, a lot of this sort of uh, religious territory that was breaking down and opening up to uh, a new way of looking at life, new horizons for life, and and relationships were taking a toll, were taking a toll as a result, um, which was the way it had to be. So I'm not concerned overly about that. Although I, you know, you always want things to be reconciled ultimately. Were you raised in a very religious household? Yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, I, you know, you can tack on any definition you like. You know, names are just a way of getting a grip on reality. So it doesn't really matter what you call it. But it was, I mean, the experience was kind of what you might be familiar with um, being called like a fundamentalist kind of, yeah. um, guess, kind of Presbyterian kind of mm-hmm. feel, atmosphere. Many yeah. people find their way to the Enneagram through that chapter because it really is involved in the Christian community because as listeners may or may not know, the Enneagram uh, first originated with the Desert Fathers, although maybe it originated in ancient Egypt, but um, it definitely came up through the Jesuit community and Richard Rohr is a Franciscan and this really got it into the Christian communities. And I grew up in a Roman Catholic tradition. I never heard anything about the Enneagram, but I think in what we would call more the fundamentalist or evangelical Christian communities, the Enneagram is pretty well known. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, it, It does seem to be taking off quite rapidly in evangelical circles and just as rapidly being appropriated um, to keep certain structures intact and maintained, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it, 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 that's, how, that's how structures um, do their thing. There was another post on Facebook today. I would represent Ingrid's post as saying that there's so much science happening in the field of interpersonal neuroscience. And we know that Dan Siegel is publishing a book with several other Enneagram experts that is really bringing the science of the Enneagram to the forefront, which is wonderful because the Enneagram historically has been rejected by academic and scientific communities and has really found more of a home in what we might call the psycho-spiritual circles. And, you know, some people even consider it a little quote unquote woo. I don't know if we find that in the dictionary. But that's been a thing. And, yeah. you know, pseudoscience some, and such. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. And there, some people were expressing concern that if the Enneagram gets into the hands of people at lower levels of consciousness, that it's going to be used to actually like brainwash and control people, which is, I think, what I hear you referencing could happen in some of the more fundamentalist religions. Of course, it's not happening everywhere, yeah. but I think that in general, there's some concern about how are we using this information? Oh, certainly. Oh, always. There's always like a, a conversation happening around how we use information. I, I'm, I, I'm not saying exactly that I'm concerned that there will be brainwashing taking place. What I am trying to say, and it's so difficult because we're trying now to engage in language that needs to go beyond language to reach its full effect. That's, that's the difficulty of um, human development um, and the 
language which which sets us apart from other species. What I am trying to say is that the Enneagram is a symbol, a fractal for the full range and scope and complexity and depth of the phenomena of experience um, and evolution and development and integration. So there's no one category or approach or method or school of thought that can represent it in its entirety because the point of the Enneagram is to get beyond the Enneagram, to live life as such. Yeah, to get Uh, to essence, right? Correct, correct. That's That's a good way of thinking about it, yeah. And I just want to name for listeners, if you look at the Enneagram symbol, there's a circle around the Enneagram, which represents the law of one. And what this means is that while we tend to identify and through our fixations and passions, end up going back habitually to one point Mm. out of the nine, we we know that we are not the personality, like we are not our egoic self. And the way that I love to think about it, one of, I can't remember who shared this with me, but I think of it as like a traffic cone, where when we come into the world, there's like this wide circle at the base and you can locate these different habitual personality patterns when you're at a very basic level of development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But as you move up through the levels of development, as we start shifting into new frames of consciousness, we get sort of to the top point of that cone. And at the top point, all is one, you know, all of these energies kind of merge and we are connected with essence and there's no difference between my humanity and your humanity. And we aren't identified with any of it anymore. Is that how the law of one resonates for you? Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's this, it's this idea that difference is apparent distance and, you know, all of these points coming together to, to be one, as you say, yeah, I, I see that. I see that encapsulated in Rudolf Steiner he was the he was the developer of um, anthroposophy and his idea that the individual and I think it's kind of a Buddhist idea too maybe the individual and the cosmos life as such they become one and the same thing they they, they realize each other at the point where one realizes that they are an I and I am um, and at that point is where is where things are one because that is the, the the pure original creative source from which reality itself is constructed out mm-hmm. of this I. Yeah, this is sort so of that's... also like the essence quality of point four. You know, yeah, point sure. four um, is found you know at the back of the chest. And um, what I've been taught is that you know as we open to that essence quality, there's just blackness and nothing and everything and that sense of oneness and that connection with source yeah 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 and what's the space between something and nothing that's thought that's thought Mm. thought is actually spiritual action like in Mm. scientifically scientifically speaking again this is drawing upon anthroposophy which i I can't go into in depth can you say that word more slowly what i don't know this word yeah so anthroposophy it's like a blend of uh, anthropology and philosophy I also heard that Rob Bell has had a heavy influence on you, and that's something we yeah, have in common. Yeah, tell me what you love about Rob. So these questions are starting to formulate, and it's 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 as though they they call out from beyond the answers that they're looking for. Because you know, I'm starting to find this guy, Rob Bell, who's in this interview. I think it was the first time I saw him, and he's talking in a way about like hell, for example, uh, things like hell or, or punishment, for example. That it was like I was just seeing myself. 10 years 
down the track or in another in another reality. It was so incredibly real. Um, and so I started, everything was, was shifting in this sort of glacial cascade. Um, Can I ask you a question? The, yeah. Because you're point six and I'm a three and yeah. we ride that arrow between three yeah. and six. Yeah. And for me, when I hear truth, there's kind of this little like witchy sensation that happens in my body where like every cell sort of activates and just zoom, like, Ooh, I'm listening to this. Oh, okay. okay like there's wow. like some like truth here. Like right. for me, that feels like knowing coming online, which is different than the structure of point six, which can get involved with thinking, 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 and there's not a lot of clarity. It yeah. can sometimes breed more confusion. Yeah, that's and right. I, when I feel that, I often feel like that's my arrow to six and that's my mm -hmm. connection to my intuition yeah. and that deeper I'm knowing. Wow, but I yeah. would think that a six who's a core six, yeah. that it might be even more powerful. And when I hear like truth, and I'm, I'm very curious that I'm using that word truth because, you know, with point three, it's authenticity that we are kind of wired for. So yeah. maybe it's not that intuition of the six, which is, well, and I think I'm actually talking about point five energy, which is like omniscience, which is like well, knowing. It's all connected. It doesn't matter. But I think that we have different access points to it. Sure. And oh, so I'm yeah, just yeah. naming that perhaps what I was talking about, I was naming it as my arrow to six, but it might actually be my connection to my essence point at three, where I'm very, very attuned to how authentic is somebody being. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the, the numbers, what they're there for is to give you particular language for different aspects. Yep. It is exactly. all one. Right. No, yeah. I love that. And Russ yeah. Hudson, who's one of my primary teachers, sure. you know, he just keeps coming back to that, that it all is one. It all is one. And um, Jessica Dibbs, I was taking a class with the Shift Network this year. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And that's the perpetual message. And so for anybody who gets triggered by typology because you don't want to be identified or located in one particular spot, I think it's really important to remember that we are just simply using typology to become more aware of the spots we locate ourselves to yeah. so, so that we can get off of those spots and utilize yeah. other energies. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. As long as that's what we're doing it for, then yeah, we, we can. Do you want to say more about Rob Bell? or? Do you well, want to I just want to say that um, for anybody who enjoys the Bible and enjoys the teachings of Jesus, but have found the way they were delivered to you to be unpalatable or perhaps have some wounding from scuba, your religious background. Yeah. yeah. That um, I think that Rob Bell is here to help people heal religious wounds. Sure. That's one yeah. of the things he's doing. Yeah. yeah. One of the things. Yeah. And so if you identify with not enjoying religion or Christianity because you feel like you saw a less desirable side of it, I think that Rob has done a wonderful job of integrating and there's a documentary oh, yeah. about him called The Heretic. Have you seen it? <laughs> yeah, there is. I don't know that I've actually um, sat down and taken it in, but I, I know the sort of conversation around all of that. It's it's very entertaining. I think he yeah. finds it very entertaining too. Yeah, well, it's great because he basically wrote a book called Love Wins. That, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh huh. Yeah, and that hit the bestseller list. Oh, and yeah. he basically was saying that we don't have to be worried about dying and going to hell, that basically we create heaven or hell right here on earth. 
and that um, love is what it's really all about. And so my interpretation is that he was taking hell away from the Christians. And if you are in patriarchy, we know that you control people through a system of punishment and reward. Yeah. So if, you know, heaven is your reward and hell is your punishment and you take that away, you no longer can rely on patriarchy to get people to do what you want them to do. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Fear. It's um, we're afraid to not be afraid. That's the mm-hmm. that's the prem that's the premise that is like holds together, in my estimation, as far as I can see, that's what's holding together the structures of religion, that they relate to life, to God, to the cosmic life principle, in um, from the, the the basis of fear rather than love. And what what is it? What is the the repeated message through the New Testament? And I I forget now exactly where this is uh, spoken, um, but. Where there is fear, love has not yet been perfected because perfect love drives out fear. Mm. And what does? And then when you start to 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 meditate upon the enneagram, you realize that everything realizes in love. Mm. And and so it it all starts to filter down into your the religion you're a part of, the the, the relationships you're a part of, the structures you're a part of, and and you you begin to gain a sort of depth to your vision where you can see. Where things are being motivated by by fear, where things are being motivated by anger, where things are being motivated by a kind of sadness, a kind of preoccupation with death, and you, and you can start to sort of map all of that out, and then you can sort of feel your way into where things are starting to uh, emerge and flower in love. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was hoping we could also talk a little bit about the instincts. Do you want to shift to that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been I've been dreading this because I've been not knowing how to like approach it because I know we have like some different thoughts on this and I really want to make them connect. So let's, let's see how we go. Well, this entire podcast is about the fact that the entire Enneagram community has different thoughts on this. And <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah as that Facebook post highlighted today, you know, this is hot in the Enneagram community. Hot. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. I think this is my sexual instinct that if according to many models, I'm sexual blind. And so this is my way of integrating it is saying, oh, I'm going into this dark and dangerous realm in the Enneagram community as basically somebody that has very limited professional credibility in this world. And I've been watching and that means uh, nothing. That yeah. Means nothing. And I just have like so many thoughts and I just love watching all the dialogue. And, you know, you watch it long enough and you've been around the block as many lifetimes as you and I have been around. I have no idea how many those are, but um, you start to just notice some patterns and see some things. And the way that I'd like to frame it in what I'm noticing in the Enneagram community is that there are people that want to keep the discussion of the instincts very simple. Mm. And there are some people that want to bring it to its depth. And I would say that some people are looking at the instincts in terms of like a set of behaviors. And some people are looking at the instincts as a manifestation of internal drives. And if we're talking about the three instincts, which is the self-preservation instinct, the social instinct, and the sexual instinct. And by the way, I just published a podcast episode today where Belinda Gore talked about a fourth instinct, which is this drive for self-realization, the instinctual drive to towards enlightenment. That's Abraham Maslow's model. It all oh, okay. it all pe- it all it all peaks with uh, the, with self realization. So that there maps on go. quite nicely. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that was cool to think about because right. this work is all driven by that instinct for well, me. Well, really. that's perfect. That's the perfect place to, to enter this conversation because, and I wrote, I've, I've written like lengthy notes on this because I've wanted to get it right and not offend anyone or drive anyone away or try to be obnoxious because I'm not trying to do any of those things. So if I refer to those at any point, that's, that's what I'll be doing. So yeah, that, that self-realization. So when we're talking about instincts, it was interesting that you mentioned like some people are saying behaviors and some people are saying drives. Obviously, that's just a process, one whole process. Um, and it's just depending on wh where different people are coming onto the scene. That's the only difference, right? It's this apparent distance. That's different. What, what is lacking always in harmonizing things is perspective. The higher you get, the more you see. Mm. So that's that's always what is should be should I don't like using the word should that, yeah, <laughs> that's your preference. Yeah, yeah. Perspective perspective is necessary for understanding. Mm -hmm. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, so when I just want to name that because yeah. look at how we're dancing around this because it's hot, right? And we're not wanting to alienate or upset anyone. And I'm right. just naming that that's what attachment types do. So it's yeah. very sweet to watch like a six, three, uh, or nine even have this conversation. Yeah. If you look like like Mario Socorro is an eight, he has no problem saying this is my interpretation of the instincts and this is what I'm doing. And then we've got John Lukovic, who's a four, you know, where it's like my authentic expression of the instincts is like this and like, this is what it is. And, you know, we've got Russ Hudson, who's a five, who I would actually say is not as attached to his view. He's, um, you know, probably navigating this with trying to hold all of it. And then we've got yeah. uh, Beatrice Chestnut, who, you know, I would say is another expert in the field that is, um, trying to shed some light on Naranjo's uh, yeah. view of the instinctual subtypes. Yeah. So I would say that those are the major players in the field that are doing a lot of writing and talking about the instincts. And so now we're bringing attachment types in, saying, how yeah. can we unify this? Like, how yeah. can we listen to what all of these people on the hexad are saying and teaching and yeah. find some sort of commonality, bring it into the triangle and create That's a little right. unity here. Yeah. And, you know, my secondary function. More than a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, right, all unity. That's what it's about, the law of one, right? And, wait, I'm curious now. What's your Myers-Briggs? We talked about that. Uh, ENFP is where I map on to the Myers-Briggs model. Okay, got it. So I'm ENTP, and that means my secondary function is introverted thinking. And introverted thinking is not emotional. You know, so we just look at things and unpack things and we'll say just about anything. Yeah. And, you know, this is why a lot of a lot of thinkers, people who use introverted thinking, it's not uncommon to be a three because we're very good at defending the heart and having conversations. We're a competency type. So the threes and the fives and the ones. the ones, you know, we're the competency triad. So when we're talking about these things, we're not very connected to the heart, which right. can be problematic because everything is yeah. also emotional. But yeah. I'm just naming yeah. that as we talk about these frames, I'm doing it from introverted thinking, which is like not taking anybody's view personally, but really trying to unpack and look at these underlying patterns. So I yeah. feel good naming that in case anybody listening to this podcast is noticing their blood pressure start to go up. Yeah. If we're not well, being brand loyal. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, you, when, you, when you mentioned the heart, the very reason drive behavior that is compelling us to talk is to, to in part emotional discharge like we're, we're talking because that's just how humans you know give off their give out 
their emotional charge. You know, that's part of what communication even is. So if we can take a very... Would you say that's anal- social instinct, though? That's how we um, create social bonds with each other? Sure. That, that, that's, how that, that's how that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I just want to... I like to kind of clarify which instinct I think we're talking about. And I think when I'm listening to you talk, it feels very social in the way you're talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think so. So we talk because we have subjective emotional sort of below the surface. Let me help signal. you out. Yeah. Okay. What's coming up for me is that I speak because there are sensations in my body that trigger an emotional circuit. Yeah. And once that emotional circuit gets triggered, I now have thoughts that put labels on my feelings. Mm -hmm. And then once I have this feeling, you know, I can start entering into these thought feeling loops Mm -hmm. that ultimately get charged enough that my body center now moves into action. And sometimes that action is speech. How is that frame for you? The instinctual language for me is that's, Okay, that's some that's some effective defi- definition to get a grip on exactly what we're talking about. What matters is being alive and being as alive as possible. When I think about being as alive as possible, well, what comes up for me first is that the self-preservation instinct is what actually keeps us alive. It's about yeah. eating food. It's about maintaining our body temperature. It's about finding shelter, staying sure. alive. And, you know, creature comforts, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So we need that one first. That kind of provides the fertile ground upon which we can experience the the social and the sexual. Yeah. Yeah. If we want to look at biology, sexual instinct is what came online second. Because remember, we were all single-celled organisms that were just like cloning ourselves. Well, theoretically, theoretically speaking. At one point in time, yeah. yeah. And so then these two single-cell organisms somewhere along the line started exchanging DNA with each other. And when that DNA exchange happened, there was like a new single, you know, or multi-celled organism that then yeah. started this evolutionary process. So right. the sexual instinct exists so that we can have new creation. It basically exists so that there is some force that is motivating us to combine Sometimes physical pieces of ourselves that end up creating a new human. And sometimes it's ideas or it's emotions or it's um, companies or whatever it yeah. is that we have two disparate yeah. forces and we're combining yeah. and there's alchemy and there's kind of some magic yeah. that like creates yeah. something new. Yeah. And the social instinct is what sort of keeps it all humming, I would say. So when I talk about life force, I would say that there's a self-preservation life force that has a more grounded earth energy. We've been talking about the elements on some Mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the sexual instinct is one that kind of slithers in amongst all of them. And we're going to talk about how the sexual instinct in the Baba Chakra is represented by a snake. And this snake energy is represented by water and fire elements. There's like a fluidity and there's a heat. So it's um, a little bit different. And then we've got our social instinct, which is represented by the air element. And this air element, there's a sort of lighter quality to it. And it's this place where we meet each other on a plane that all mammals have a social instinct But it seems like humans, as we have developed the prefrontal cortex, 
have developed this ability to actually observe our behaviors, observe the behaviors of others, start to create patterns and recognitions and be able to predict into the future and actually create fantasy, actually imagine things that could be that never have been yet and remember things that are already in the past and are over. And this is what makes humans unique. So listeners, I'm curious if you have ever wondered why the dragon is on the thumbprint is why it's the image on the Blind Spot Enneagram podcast. And I came across the work of David Gray, which you can access via his Patreon page. I know he's working on a book, but I don't think it's going to be published very soon. Um, so most of this uh, can be heard on some of his podcast episodes on Big Hormone Enneagram, as well as his Patreon page. And David Gray is one of the first people that I know of that started to combine the teachings of the Bhava Chakra, which is an image that reportedly the Buddha created that contains all of the Buddhist teachings within this image. And David was looking at the Bhava Chakra and contemplating his study of the instincts mm. and noticed that in the middle of the Bhava Chakra, there are three animals. There is the pig, which represents the self-preservation instinct because the pig has four legs on the ground and the self-preservation instinct is pretty much about um, having resources and um, gathering that which you need to survive in a very earthy, basic kind of way. Yeah. And then there's also the rooster. And the rooster represents the social instinct because it has wings. And so it's more of that air element that goes up into the sky. And the rooster also crows. You know, so this element of speech, which is part of the social instinct, is yeah, also like embodied. Yeah. 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 And then the third animal is the snake. And the snake represents the sexual instinct. Mm -hmm. The serpent mm -hmm. exists in most of the religious myths. So like if we look at the Garden of Eden, it yep. was the serpent that came in and tempted yeah. them to bite from yeah. the apple. This is the rainbow um, serpent in uh, Aboriginal, Australian, Australian Aboriginal myth. Yep. Tell us that one. I don't know that myth. Oh, I'm not overly familiar with it myself, but there, there are various stories surrounding a rainbow serpent who, through his journeys across the world, gave shape and definition um, mm. well. Yeah, yeah. So when we just think about the snake, many people are afraid of snakes. You know, if you think of which animal triggers the most fear in humans, yeah. is it a pig, a rooster, or a snake? Yeah. I would argue that most people would probably go with snake. Yeah. I've heard some people say that has to do with that evolutionary past. I'm not sure. Um, but it does let's think it does, about that, though. Like, yeah. you know, I think it does have to potentially do with the evolutionary path, but I also think that a lot of people are afraid of sexuality. And we know that religions have been yeah. afraid of sexuality. I mean, there have been sure. so many laws and, you know, attempts to restrain um, sexuality, whereas, you know, sexuality always breaks through. I mean, there's been a lot of sexual abuse um, in organized religion. There's been a lot of sexual abuse in patriarchal structures. There's a lot of sexual abuse in spiritual communities. I mean, this has right. really happened throughout history. Mm. And so that just shows that no matter how much we try to contain the sexual instinct, that it's an incredibly powerful energy that will not be denied. So when we're, I hear you talk about life force, I know that Russ Hudson talks a lot about how important it is to be good stewards of our sexual energy because we need this energy in order to have transformation. So we need to have healthy expressions of all three instincts, but there's something about that sexual energy that is absolutely committed to life force. 
David made the observation that the dragon is also this mythological creature that we see across many different cultures. And the dragon can be interpreted to be a full integration of the three instinctual right. drives. Right. Because dragons have four legs, like the pig. Yeah. Um, the dragon has wings, like the yeah. rooster. And the dragon has the body of the serpent, which yeah. represents the snake. So I love imagining the dragon as this image of the full integration of all three instinctual drives, which is where I think our true power as being fully human actually lives. And one of the conversations that we were having, because I know that you don't really like the idea of a blind spot, like you think that all of the instincts are more or less present most of the time. Is that what I, I heard certainly you do? I certainly do see that blind spots can factor in. I do believe that we have some biological wiring that probably leads us to be more dominant in one and to deprioritize others. But I also Mm. think we're collecting a heritage of like, what is our ancestors? Like how have they lived? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like we, that absolutely. Uh, Thank you for bringing that online, so to speak, because that is where it all starts to factor in. What we're dealing with is inheritance. What, what have we inherited? What's, where have we come from? Where are we going? Yeah. And and so, and I really now did you did you want to say more about tying the dragon together? Or? Well, I kind of want listeners just to know why I chose the dragon. Yes, please. And the way that I imagine the dragon is that when we come into this world, the dragon might look a little dysmorphic because we have all three instincts, but some mm. are overdeveloped, mm. some are underdeveloped, and maybe we would say the middle one is the most appropriately developed. Mm-hmm. So for me, as somebody who's self-pressed, social, sexual, blind, before I started integrating my blind spot, my dragon was really like bottom heavy, like big, thick legs and, you know, kind of a belly, but then it's, and medium-sized wings, but kind of a skinny, strawny middle. So it's just kind of a weird looking dragon. Oh. And as I pull my blind spot online, what it is that I really need to feed, what it is that I need to pay attention to is developing my sexual blind spot. And, you know, that requires when we give attention to the blind spot, by default, we will become less preoccupied with the dominant instinct because we've now taken some of the attention that we had in one instinctual realm and we're focusing it on the one that's underutilized. So the way that I think about that, my son had an ankle injury and he had to be non-weight bearing for like six months of last year. So his calf and his one leg is incredibly scrawny. And the other one is like really built up because he's been hopping around everywhere. So it looks kind of funny. Well, happily, he seems to have recovered and he is now um, back to regular activities. And that leg is starting to fill out again. And the other one doesn't quite have to be so big. So it's all starting to even out. And I think that's what we see when we're developing our blind spot, that as we exercise that instinctual domain that has been underused, it starts to fill out and become more healthy. And the other ones don't need to be so big. They can actually go back to taking their proper place. And the one that is in the middle, um, that one probably just needs tweaking. 
you know, it's not that it's too big or too small, but we can like refine it. Like for me, it's the social and it's the wings. So maybe I can like upgrade and get a cooler pair of wings, you know, but like they're, they're still wings. So that's how I like thinking about the instincts right now. I do think yeah. that the disproportion that we have in the instincts is going to vary based upon our psycho-spiritual health. I think that as we approach, you know, integration of the shadow and integration of the blind spots, hmm. that it's a little bit harder to tell which one somebody is dominant in and which one is blind. Yeah. But if we look at how we structured our life before we started onto a consciousness journey, there are some patterns that are very typical for each instinctual stack. So for example, with a self-pressed social sexual blind person, what did I prioritize? Well, I prioritized having like my career. You know, I decided to become a doctor. I decided to become a primary care doctor. It's very stable. It was a very predictable path. You just have to provide that self-preservation, like till the field kind of energy and like you'll get a crop. There's not a lot of creativity there. It's just kind of jump on the path and do it. And then my second is social, which is why I got married at 23 and had babies by 25 and, you know, was developing my tribe for, through which was very important to me. And that was really the things that I prioritized. Now, of course, my sexual instinct came online when I was looking for a husband and we connected in that way and we made our babies. But the reason that I ended up getting divorced after 17 years was because we didn't feed the sexual instinct. There really wasn't any um, new creation happening within our relationship. It got oh. very heavy into self-pres, which was our both high-powered careers, and mm. social, which was our four kids and his parents and my parents. And it was like there was always something for the family going on. And our intimate connection was what didn't get nourished and what, which is what ultimately failed. So if you look at my script, the way that I live my life now is paying a lot more attention to the sexual instinct. I'm launching on this new career path, even though I have no idea where it's going to take me or if I'll ever make money or how this will all work out, but it's got a fire. It's got like a charge for me. And it just feels like the path I need to take now, you know, in my personal life, I now don't look at intimate partners in terms of, ooh, are we going to be able to keep a good home together? Are we going to make babies together and co-parent in a good way? It's really about, you know, am I drawn to you and are you drawn to me? And I'm still working that out because when you're sexual blind, you've been looking at other factors for a long time and you have to, you know, notice that programming that happens and actually connect yeah. with a more felt sense of attraction. So I'm just naming that these are some of the ways that the instinctual stack will show up. And according to Mario Sakura's measurements, I'm actually sexual dominant. I'm a transmitting type. And I have some thoughts about why that is. I also like to correct that people often think that if you're self-preservation dominant, that you're more quiet and reserved, which I don't identify with at all. But I think that self-preservation can have a lot of intensity with it. And so sometimes when we see intensity, we call it sexual. And I don't always think that's true. First, thank you for sharing and going so personal with all of that. Like that's This is where it becomes so difficult for me to address because I recognize how personal, these instincts represent very personal things for people. And that's why it becomes really difficult to talk about. 
Um, so I'll preface it by saying I recognize that we're all engaging in this from the heart, where we're engaging with it from the heart and the heart that we ultimately care about. And it's the heart where ultimately everything registers. So if anything I say upsets the heart, um, then I am, I'm truly sorry. And I'm always trying to learn how to do this better. Um, so having given, having given that preface. I have to throw one thing in here yeah, because please. my mind is mapping. So I think it's so sweet the way that you're holding the community with your words. And this is, um, if we want to go to the Jungian psychology as an ENFP, your extroverted feeling actually exists in the critical parent mode. So extroverted feeling, which is harmony, which is how is what am I going to say going to land with you is actually not in your consciousness. That's an unconscious function. And for you as an ENFP, it resides in this critical parent role where you're going to have your angsty sixness kind of activated around how is this going to land with somebody? For me, that's in my 10-year-old function. It's in my consciousness and it's where what I call the eternal child. So I also get myself in trouble by saying things that ruffle the feathers of people. Oh, I don't mind being in trouble. I just don't uh, want to, yeah, I don't want to. You don't want to what? Cause riffs. Cause riffs, yeah, yeah. See, I have more of the stance that of course, I'm going to cause rifts, but I have an overly optimistic sense of my ability to create repair. So that's, well, that's where great. I get into trouble is that I just yeah. assume that rifts happen and that we all know that we're all well-meaning. And so then let's just all make nice and get along afterwards. I like that too. I like that yeah. too. Yeah. But some people, that's our, that's our extroverted intuition, which wants to always see a new possibility. But sometimes people end up taking it like, really personally. And that tends to be people who um, have introverted feeling online. And so there's a very strong, passionately held belief around something and it can be easy to offend. So as we embark into this sensitive territory, I invite users to just learn something about your cognitive preferences because it really explains a lot about how we're going to talk about this. And what I did also was intellectualize it all so that I'm hoping I'm freeing you to just like speak whatever's popping up for you because I can tell that you have more filters around what you're going to say. And I'm just curious, like what's coming up? Like what's the real thoughts inside of you that we can always edit out if you don't like sharing them. (laughs) That's okay. Well, yeah, so the whole thrust of, of this Enneagramic work is it's a science. We're trying to, to pry ourselves open so that we can get above ourselves and recreate ourselves from, from the atmosphere. So, yes, there is going to be some discomfort involved because we're, it's that my friend John recently shared this with me. It's this Herman Hess quote, um, and I'm para- paraphrasing here to the effect that if one is to be born, they must destroy a world, they must emerge from a shell. Yeah. Um, and that's the whole, that's, so this is where, when, when we start thinking in this kind of explosive, radiant uh, pattern way of, of process, which, which is life, it, that, that's, how, that's how life is and how it unfolds, all of these narrow and, and somewhat, somewhat fragmented um, approaches, to, so we're talking about like instincts, and like our, our, our experiences, and they're all sort of floating in space, there are, they have to be taken it's essential that we find the skillful means necessary to, to integrate these together and map them together because, A, there is no individual uh, instinctual experience, preference, jack, whatever, without taking into account 
the historical, social, political, inherited framework passed down to us over time in aeons, it's all it's all one and, and together and collective. Like, so for example, like we're talking about like like sexual, social, self-preservation, all these things. And I see that very little consideration is given um, in large part in today's talk around around this this model um, to, you know, what how is the world shaped? How is the world being constructed? Um, and yes, I know that they feed into each other. Right? It's like it, it goes around in a circle. However, to me, it seems that it isn't it isn't complicated. It isn't in some sense. It isn't complicated. We there is latent creativity and actualized creativity, and you are the space and the process in between. So you know when things are coming online and things are integrated and things are working, working in the most harmonious and positive way possible, when the things you, you are doing are bringing into effect new, new ways of being. Like, that's the test. So I think I've, I view it, I've been thinking about all of this kind of complicated di diagnosis-like language and formula it's sort of, it's a substitute for being in the world and creating what is in the eye and what is coming out of the eye and, and the vision and the ideal that one holds. It's, it's sort of all a substitute for actually looking in the face. What do I want? What is it that I've been, that I have the capability to do? To do and what, how does that relate to the lay of the land that I have been born into? All, all of this kind of... Yeah, all of this kind of, you know, oh, am I this particular blend? I've got my diagnosis now. It's like, you don't need a diagnosis. You're not sick. We're not doctors. We're not teachers. We're not here to <laughs> Can tell. Can I reflect not, back some please. of what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I'm not trying to be okay. angry now. I'm just trying to be as forthright as possible. Well, I feel like, uh, and can I give you some like honest reflection just Please. on observe? Like, I love observing people and just telling them what I'm seeing and how it lands with me. So, in this moment, I watched you be. Um, a little bit sixy, which was mm. a little bit in the head, mm. trying to describe these ideas. But I also see you integrating to your point nine. And I think that this is why you talk a lot about love and you talk a lot about unity and you talk a lot about this perspective, because I think you yes. have a direct experience of knowing when am I in a disintegrated headspace yep. and when have I gone to nine, which is the body center. So now right. All of these thoughts don't even matter. It's like they can all just settle down and we're being, you know, that's yeah. the essence of point nine yeah. is dropping into the body center mm -hmm. where all is one and one is all. And mm. we are just being, and the agenda is forward. dropped and we don't need to label and yeah. we don't need to make it complicated. And at yeah. the end of the day, it all is love. Right. So because I'm seeing need, that yeah. connection. Yeah. Yeah. Because you need labels and structures when you, have decided that you're going to settle down. Yep. Let's let's not decide to settle down. Let's keep Ooh. rolling forward through the universe. Okay. And so Yeah, love it. Because now I'm coming back to David Gray. Okay. David Gray thinks that sixes are self-pres by nature. He yeah, thinks that threes are social by nature. There you go. And that nines are sexual by nature. Right, so you if can't we separate. look at the three, six, nine, yep. and we recognize that what happens is when we're in six zone, we're in self-preservation zone, right. we're right. sort of just fixed. Like you said, we're kind of there. Yeah. And so then what happens yeah. is we, the sexual energy will activate that pulls us out of self-preservation into new creation. 
And once that energy yep. starts flowing and we want to have new creation, we have to bring social on board so that we actually mm. go out and connect with other humans so yeah. that either whatever sexual energetic connection, whatever form that's taking will happen, something new is created. Yeah. And yeah. now we go back to self-pres where we nurture it and we take care of it and it right. grows and it right. ripens. Right. And then eventually we need to inject the sexual energy again. And once we get activated, we need to connect with other mm. humans via social. Yeah. And so we can see how the interplay of these three instincts represented by the 369 triangle is really at the base of what I think we're talking about. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and just take that one step further and say there isn't even a need to stop and demarcate what it is that we're doing. We're just doing it. And we only need to do that if we want to self-observe, if we oh, notice yeah. oh, that yeah. we're stuck somewhere. Oh, yes. Right. Oh, absolutely. So that's and the please, point of, yeah. of, of why yeah. we do it at all. You're right. When we, we don't need to because ultimately we'll be enlightened and it's just all in flow. Right. But until that happens, we tend to find ourselves stuck from time to time. Oh, and oh, these yeah, frames absolutely. can help us to notice what is the yeah. energy that is needed oh, yeah. here, and we can oh, do yeah. that. Yeah. Now, I'm because curious, what do you think analysts. your dominant yeah. instinct is? If you were to say, <laughs> this is the one that I feel like this is probably my dominant instinct, what would you say? Yeah, I, I can't. I, 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 have to, I have to address that question a different way. Uh -huh. Because what, what, we've, what we've just been talking about and laying out and mapping out is that, for example, you, you mentioned 6-3 and like this social nature and the self-preservation nature. We can't effectively move forward um, with our work if we're separating instincts from um, personality patterns, for example. Well, I want to stick with with instincts, though, because I, I'm, I think you're going to get more complicated than I want to right now. I want to pin you down. I want you to tell me if you had to give yourself a stack, if we're going to use that model... Where would you fit? Do you have any idea? It's okay if you don't. I, I don't think I fit. You don't fit. I think you fit. Can I tell you what I what I, where I would put you? you please, and you can please go ahead. Be a six and disagree and be anti-authoritarian and say, no way. I, you know, this is what's so fun about having these conversations with a six is that I know you won't like it, but I'm going to go ahead and just throw out what I see. Nope. Um, okay. I think you're social dominant. I think you're social dominant because when I hear you speak, like it's, it's very, it's the social instinct. Um, if you look at the Baba Chakra, it's like the, the language of the gods. It's very mm. like, it's got a light, airy, ethereal, right. like just this beautiful quality. And when I hear you talk, it's a lot about social structures and it's a lot about how like the planet and the earth and unity and like pulling it all together, like all of that has a very social flavor to me. Sure. Sure. I would say that you are self-preservation middle because I've watched you be kind of careful from time to time. And I mean, that's inherently six. Like we said, there's a self-preservation um, self is embodied in the six. And I would say that you're probably like me where the sexual is what you'll pull on board. I think it's the one that the energy that is clearly here because you have many interesting ideas. But I would just say from a felt body sense, it's lacking the like the heat and the intensity. And I'm just going to throw in this word like the sultriness like that I see with sexual instinctual energy. 
I think that's going to come in more and more as you continue to evolve, because I'm just naming that completely mind blown that at 21, you have all of these thoughts and observations and views. And I take it, you haven't been married, you haven't had kids, you haven't like, how many times have you had your heart broken? It can't be more than a few. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's like, like the, the, the a number of life experiences that you will continue to acquire in the next 65 years is going to really show you which instincts do you lead with because you already have this powerful skill of self-observation and you have so much life in front of you that it'll be really interesting to observe how you deal with things that activate your nervous system. Mm. Mm. How is that to it's hear? Yeah, I oh, no, I, I don't want to fight. fight fighting. <laughs> do, not, do not think of fighting. Do not speak of fighting. Do not fight. Really? Um, Why don't you want yeah. to speak about it, though? That's interesting to me. Fighting is kind of fun for me. I mean, fighting in a, I mean, I don't want to kill you, but I, I, I call it That's mental you know. sparring. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, like Let's clarify hear, that. Kara does right. not want to kill me. <laughs> but I think fighting is kind of fun. Like, that's why I think I'm partially in this field is that I think that, I think that conflict breeds intimacy. Yeah. That's just my opinion. Yeah, it can. If it's, if it's a playful kind of conflict. What if it's not, though? I think it can still, you learn a lot about people if they play not nice. You do learn a lot about people, but ultimately the point of seeking unity is that we get unity. Unity means peace. Mm. I think we're a long way off for that, though, don't you think? Only, only if we start from here. If we start from there, then, uh -huh. we go, then we're going to end up there. Okay. I'm thinking of all the eights I know that would probably disagree with your viewpoint. Um, I'm thinking of like sexual fours that can get access to some anger. I'm thinking that if you were a sexual six that, I mean, they, they are pretty feisty. You know, I'm just thinking that there are definitely some types that would probably not agree with you, but I'm, I think it's a beautiful image. You know, we talked a little bit about the lion laying down with the lamb. Yeah. I do think that one day, I mean, I, I'm certified in nonviolent communication. I think that right. world peace and nonviolence is a wonderful reality, but I don't really think we live there now. Do you? There is only one day today. Hmm. I have a lot of gratitude. I just think it's really cool you that you were willing to come onto this platform oh, and always. unpack these okay. ideas with me. Yeah. I'm very encouraged to, to be able to have these conversations. I might, I might not, we might not understand exactly where they're going, but as you say, though, very, very grateful, very encouraged. Um, and we're continue, continuing to move forward and figure out what it is that we're up to. Hmm. Thank you, Timothy. Yeah. Thank you, Kara, so much. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at contact at enneagramblindspots.com. I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice while Essence MD, including typing services, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Feel free to call my office at 847-850-8185 to schedule a free consultation.